Chapter thirty two of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty two. When I again awoke, it was night, but the darkness was not disagreeable to me. I was easier in bodily sensation than I had been in the morning, and I pleased myself with calling to mind every gentle word which my beloved Helen had spoken, with conjuring up again every sweet look, and dreaming over that fond, devoted affection which, in the midst of the sorrows and uncomforts that surrounded me, was like some guiding star to a voyager on the inhospitable ocean. But then came the idea of seeing her father, and I thought, even if she could convince him of my innocence, how could I clasp his hand with that which had slain his child? I remembered my feelings towards him when, entirely abandoning his sweet child to the care of my mother, he seemed to have resigned all his paternal rights, and it had been only my respect for Helen which had saved him from my unconcealed contempt. I remembered, too, his long-nourished dislike towards me, and I asked myself whether he would feel it less now, that he could not but suspect me of the death of his son. Yet still his pride might be gratified to ally his child to the house of Bigor, and to see his descendants attached to that noble class to which he could not himself aspire. But then again, if he had really accumulated so much wealth as the conversation I had overheard had intimated, he could easily match his daughter with so rich a dower of beauty as well as gold, amongst families as noble as my own, where no such fearful objections existed as that which interposed between Helen and myself. What needed I more, the weak youth of whose passion for her I had been made an unwitting confidant, with evidently high birth and proud connections, stood ready to unite himself to the daughter of the low procureur of Lourdes, and give her that rank and station which I doubted not that Arnaud coveted. Helen, I was sure, would never consent, and yet I teased myself with the dread, fancying all that perseverance and the persuasions and commands of a parent might do against an almost hopeless love. While I thus alternately solaced myself with dwelling upon all the sweetness, the beauty, the affection of her I loved, and tormenting myself with imagining all that might separate us, epitomizing in one short hour the many fluctuating hopes and fears of a long human life to my surprise the darkness became less opaque and by the grey which gradually mingled with the black i found that morning was imperceptibly stealing upon night so that my slumber must have lasted more than twenty hours but a still greater surprise awaited me gradually as the day dawned one object after another struck me as resembling the furniture of the little room which I had tenanted ever since I had quitted the inn after my arrival in Paris. Was I dreaming still? Or had I dreamed? I asked myself. Had all I had seen during the last two days been but a delusion? Or was I still labouring under some deception of my imagination? But no, with the clear daylight it became evident that I was there, in the little chamber I had hired in the Rue des Prêtres Saint-Paul, there was the carved scrutoire, with its thousand grotesque heads. There the old table, which had acknowledged more than one dynasty. There lay my clothes, my hat, my sword, as if I had left them there on going to bed the night before. And nothing served to show that the whole that I have lately described was not a dream, 
except the bruises on my shoulder and my side, which smacked somewhat painfully of reality. In about an hour afterwards my good landlady came in, to ask if I wanted anything, and from her I learned that I had been brought home on a litter still sound asleep, by some persons she did not know, who told her I had met with an accident, and bade her take great care of me, enforcing their injunction with a piece of gold. This was an effort of liberality on the part of Arnaud which I had not expected, either from his own character, which was notedly avaricious, or from the general rule of nature, that the long habit of accumulating small sums narrows the heart and leaves no room for any generous feeling. I began to feel that I had been mistaken in his character, and I tried, fondly, to persuade myself with a theory, as fallacious as any other of those fallacious things, theories, that the father of so noble-spirited a girl as Helen, whose whole soul was liberality, and her very thought of feeling, must, in some degree, partake of the same nature, and possess hidden qualities which, when called into action, would shine out and assert their kindred. My good landlady, in common with all old women, had a strange prejudice in favour of keeping those she looked upon as sick in bed, but in spite of all her persuasions I got up and dressed myself. My first care was to examine what money I had left, after the sad dilapidation which the gaming-table had effected on my purse, though, indeed, I expected to find that the tender-hearted gentleman who had thrown me out of the window had charitably taken care that the few crowns which had remained in my pocket should not weigh me down in my descent. My own purse, indeed, was gone, but in its place, to my no small surprise, I found one containing a hundred louis d'or. This, of course, had come from Arnaud, though how he came to know that I stood in need of such supply I could not divine. For some time I remained undetermined whether I should make use of the sum or not. Pride whispered that Arnaud had removed me from the neighbourhood of his daughter, possibly to marry her to someone else, and should I then accept the vile Roturier's bounty, his charity? At the same time, necessity urged that I had nothing but that for the daily wants of life, that if I hoped ever to discover Helen's dwelling in that great city, and having done so, never again to lose sight of her, I must have the aid of that talismanic metal, whose touch discovers and secures and perfects everything. But a moment's reflection made me regard the question with better feelings. Arnaud had removed me from his daughter, true, but it was because he believed me to be the murderer of his son, and he was therefore justified in doing so. He had placed the money where I found it, probably not out of charity, for he knew that I could easily repay it ultimately, but to relieve me from a temporary necessity. There was yet another supposition. Perhaps Helen had placed it there herself. Pride between me and Helen was out of the question, and there was something so sweet in the very idea of following her wishes, even though she knew it not, that I should have looked upon hesitation after that supposition crossed my mind, as the meanest of vanities. I determined then to make use of the money thus placed at my disposal, and to reimburse the donor, if Arnaud, at a future period. If Helen had been the giver, to repay her whenever I could discover her abode by telling her I had used it well. The effort of dressing had caused me a great deal of pain, 
and while I sat down to rest myself afterwards, I sent a boy to inquire at my inn in the Rue de Prouvaire whether my little friend Achilles had appeared there during my absence. In about an hour I heard the rush of feet galloping up the stairs, with the rapidity of joy. The door flew open, and in rushed Achilles, but no longer the Achilles I had left him. The smart Spanish dress of which he had possessed himself at Barcelona was gone. The hat, the plume, the sword had given way to all the external signs of poverty and want. His head was as bare as when he came into the world, and his shoulders were covered with a grey gown which had once belonged to a monk. The fashion of it, indeed, had been somewhat altered, for the cowl had been made serviceable in patching several momentous rents, which might otherwise have exposed the little man's person somewhat more than decency permitted. "'Well, Achilles,' said I, when the first transport of his joy at finding me having passed away, I could find an opportunity of speaking. "'You seem to have been engaged in traffic since I saw you, and not to have gained upon the exchange.' "'Oh, you will pardon me, monsieur,' replied he, grinning as merrily as ever. "'I have gained a vast fund of experience. I know that is a sort of commodity the returns upon which are slow, but they are very sure, and I will try to make the most of it.' "'But from what I see,' rejoined I, with somewhat, I am afraid, of a cynical sneer at the light-heartedness which I could not myself acquire, "'I am afraid you paid very dear for your bargain.' "'Not cheap, I confess,' replied he. "'Somewhere about three hundred pistoles, a good suit, a dozen shirts, and a whipping through the streets of Lyon, that is all.' "'A whipping?' cried I. "'That is a part of the account I did not reckon upon.' and not one of the most pleasant i should conceive but come achilles let us hear your story it must be somewhat curious not very answered achilles but it is short which is something in favour of the story after your lordship's departure i embarked in the boat for lyons as soon as it thought fit to sail and we began our long slow voyage up the river which at first was very tedious Soon, however, I hit upon a way of amusing myself, for seeing a respectable old merchant of Lyons with a young lady, whom I took to be his daughter, I went up and introduced myself to them as Monsieur le Comte de Grumagnac, told them that, preferring the easy gliding motion of the river to the rumbling of a carriage, or the jolting of a horse, I had sent my equipage and servants by land, and instantly began to make love to the daughter. The old gentleman seemed so uneasy at the advances that I made in her favour that I began to fear he suspected me, and to do away all doubt, when we stopped to dine, I took a handful of gold out of my pocket, and asked what was to pay, with the air of a prince. The young lady seemed ravished with the sight of the gold pieces, but my old merchant grew more uneasy than ever, and always got between me and the young lady when I wanted to speak to her so that I began to grow suspicious in my turn, and to doubt whether the tie between them was not somewhat more tender than the relationship. This doubt induced me to watch the pair more diligently than ever, for she was as beautiful a girl as ever your worship set your worshipful eyes upon, and the old gentleman as venerable an old piece of withered bamboo as ever fell into sin in his dotage so you may easily conceive I could not bear to see such a rosebud withering upon such a desert. Well, this went on with various success till we arrived at Lyon, 
and I cannot say my fair Phyllis was at all inclined to second her guardian's efforts to repulse me, so that we had time to arrange that I should go to the auberge of the Lion d'Or on our disembarkation, and there wait a note from my fair enslaver. To the Lion d'Or I went, and soon received a summons to fly to my charmer, whom I found, as her billet doux intimated, waiting for me in a very respectable lodging in the Rue Saint-Pierre. Here, her face half in tears, half in smiles, like the opening of an April morning, she told me that she had now no friend but me, for that her cruel tyrant, the instant of their arrival, had commanded her to abandon me for ever. This the passion I had inspired her with would not permit, and being too frank, she said, to deceive anyone, she had at once refused. A quarrel ensued. He had cast her off penniless, and though she could instantly fly to the Baron d'Ecumois or the Marquis de la Soupierre, she had preferred putting herself under my protection, for she owned that she never loved anyone but me. Though this was as sweet as honey, yet, as I well perceived that with such a charmer's assistance, my dearly beloved pistoles would soon fly half over Lyon, I bethought myself seriously of the best means of transferring her, with all speed, to the Marquis de la Soupierre. However, to lull all suspicion of the waning state of my affection, I prepared to entertain her handsomely, till good luck should furnish me with the means of beating a quiet retreat, and accordingly sent to the traiteurs for a good dinner, as the very best means of consoling a distressed damsel. Over rich ragout and heady burgundy the hours slipped lightly by, and I could see in my little Phyllis's sparkling eye her satisfaction with the conquest she had made. Alas, that mortal joy should be so transitive. In the midst of our happiness, care and melancholy and gloom and despite rushed suddenly upon us in the form of four ferocious archers, who pitilessly arrested Phyllis on the charge of having robbed her former venerable protector, and hurried me to prison, along with her, as an accomplice. Phyllis had taken care to hide the place of her retreat, but she knew not the cunning of archers, and though, when they came, she protested her innocence in terms that would have convinced the hard heart of Minos, and won the unwilling ears of Radamanthus, yet, as the whole of the stolen goods were found in her valise, the unfeeling archers would not believe a word, and as I have said before, we were both hurried to prison, without any farther ceremony than taking from us every farthing that we had in the world. The next morning we were brought before a magistrate, who reserved Phyllis's case for his private consideration. As to mine, as nothing could be proved against me, except that I had called myself the Count de Guilmagnac, without being able clearly to prove all my quarters of nobility, I was ordered to be whipped through the town, for my ignorance of heraldry, and then discharged. My whipping I bore with Christian fortitude, but the loss of my doublet, which the executioner kept for his fee, and the loss of my money, which the archers kept because they liked it, tore my heartstrings, and setting out from that accursed town of Lyon, where injustice and cruelty walk hand in hand, I begged my way to Paris, and reached the famous hotel where you had appointed me to meet you. There the landlord told me no such person as your lordship resided, and bade me get out for a lazy beggar. 
a black dog that stood in the yard instantly took up the matter where the landlord left off and i was in the act of making my escape from them both when the boy you sent arrived inquiring for me the joy which took possession of my heart i need not tell suffice it that i made the boy run all the way here and that having now found you i have determined never to leave you or let you leave me again for while we were together nothing but good fortune attended us and since we have been separated nothing but ill luck has been my share so that the only consolation i can have will be to hear that while my scale was down yours has been up and that dame fortune has at least befriended one of us i could not refuse to tell my history also to my little attendant though it occasioned less amusement to him than his had done to me and his face grew longer and longer at every incident i detailed till at last passing over all that regarded helen i informed him that on being conveyed home i found my pocket encumbered with a hundred louis this news instantly cleared his countenance who would not be thrown out of window for a hundred louis cried he but vive dieu your excellency has suffered yourself to be desperately cheated in regard to your ring six louis if i know anything of diamonds it was well worth thirty however let me first exercise my chirurgical skill upon your eminence's shoulder and after that i will see whether the ring cannot be recovered nay nay cried i my good achilles give me what titles of honour you like except your eminence that is a rank which it might be dangerous to usurp call me your majesty if you like but not your eminence as to the ring i believe you are right and i will willingly give double what i received to recover it again less than that will do replied achilles a louis for me to buy myself a suit at a fripier's a louis for an archer de la cour and the sum you had originally received and i think i can manage it i warned him if i may use the homely proverb not to go forth to shear and come home shorn and having suffered him to examine my shoulder gave him the address of the jeweller and let him depart from my lodging as he told me afterwards he went to the shop of the fripier where he furnished himself with a decent suit of livery and thence proceeded to find out an archer of one of the courts of justice to whom he explained the affair and gave half a louis as earnest promising the other half if the ring should be recovered the eloquence of the little player touched the tender heart of the archer at the same moment that the money touched his palm and shouldering his partisan without more ado he followed to the shop of the jeweller achilles entered alone and desiring to see some diamond rings made up a slight allegory to suit the occasion informing the jeweller that his master the count de lorme had commissioned him to buy him a handsome jewel as a present for his mistress the jeweller instantly produced a case of rings which he spread out before the eyes of achilles commenting on their beauty achilles instantly pitched upon the one i had sold and asked the price forty louis replied the jeweller and i only sell it so cheap because i bought it second-hand i require no more than a fair profit if i gain five per cent may i be branded for a rogue i will tell you a secret jeweller replied achilles you are very lucky to be branded for a rogue you bought this ring knowing it to be stolen the jeweller stared it was taken from the person of my noble lord the count de lorme proceeded achilles when he was knocked down and robbed in the rue saint-jacques one of the thieves is taken 
the very one who sold it to you a tall dark young man with curling hair black moustache and a beard not six months old he says you gave him six louis for it and as you know it to be worth forty you must have been very well aware when you bought it that it was stolen ho oh, oh, ho cried the jeweller so you wish to cheat me out of my ring but come my little man he continued catching achilles by the collar i will send for an archer and see you safe lodged in prison without farther ado achilles according to his own account took the matter very calmly as to the archer he said to the jeweller i thought to myself before i came here that a man who gave but six louis for a diamond worth thirty might be somewhat refractory and therefore i brought one with me ho archer without there the jeweller not a little confounded instantly let go achilles's collar and as the archer marched in with his partisan began to shake in every limb doubtless aware that all his dealings would not bear that strict examination which they were likely to undergo if chance should call the prying eyes of the law upon them i take you to witness archer said achilles addressing his ally that i have offered this jeweller the same price which the young man swears he got for this ring namely six louis and that he the jeweller will not sell it for less than forty which proves that he knew it to be stolen certainly said the archer in a solemn tone you never offered me the six louis said the jeweller i never said i would not part it for under forty give me the six and take it and the devil give you good for it for it is not worth more then you are a great rogue for having asked forty replied achilles with imperturbable composure and therefore he entered into solemn consultation with the archer as to whether he could safely and legally give the money and take back the ring as it was evident the jeweller was an accomplice to thieves and ought to be brought to justice gentlemen cried the terrified jeweller at length alarmed at all the awful catalogue of pros and cons which achilles and the archer banded about between them i declare on my salvation i knew nothing of the ring being stolen i thought the person who brought it here was some poor gentleman pressed for money who would sell it for anything and therefore i offered six louis for it all i asked back is what i gave and i am content to present this worthy archer with a gold piece to compensate the trouble he has had give him the money said the archer give him the money and take the ring we must not be too hard upon the poor devil the money was accordingly given the archer received his fee and achilles carried off the ring to me in triumph not only having had the satisfaction of biting the biter but also having won the warm friendship of an archer of the court of aids which to a man of his principles and practice was a most invaluable acquisition End of chapter thirty two